It's Tuesday, February 9th here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Draft Sharks Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaap. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And joining us today is a special guest, a guy that really I'm sure you're all familiar with. He's the editor-in-chief at FanDuel and Number Fire. He hosts the Late Round Podcast. He is at Late Round QB on Twitter. He's a finalist for both Football Writer of the Year and Top Football Podcast in the FSWA Awards. He's JJ Zacharyson. JJ, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. With a day in between, we were just talking Super Bowl before we get on here, but we've all had a day to let it marinate. So I'm going to put you guys on the spot. JJ, you first. Who had the better performance Sunday, Todd Bowles or The Weeknd? Oh, man. man. I, you know, look, I did like The Weeknd's halftime performance, I got to say. I feel like I'm on an island with that take, uh, but I didn't mind it. But Todd Bowles, man, I thought, I mean, realistically, if we were to be able to give out an MVP award to a coach, I mean, is there a more deserving coach than what he did in that? I mean, it was just unbelievable performance. But uh, so, yeah, props to Todd Bowles for being able to maintain and, and hold down Patrick Mahomes, which we haven't seen yet really throughout Mahomes' career. The weekend was fine, but he, he's still poor man's Bruno Myers to me. Oh, come on. <laughs> Jared, that is your worst take on this podcast uh, ever. I enjoyed the <laughs> halftime show too. So as far as I'm concerned, JJ, it's a safe space here. I Good. definitely thought it was like the toddler toy of concerts though. There were flashing lights all over the place. There were yeah. colors, there were crazy faces, nonstop music, and even an impromptu game, like game of peekaboo out of nowhere. But I, I felt content. I was the one in the playpen watching the toy go off and enjoying myself. Yeah, it was good. JJ is actually the first of six guests we're going to have lined up for this week in a series we're calling What I Got Wrong. If you're a fantasy analyst, a ranker, projector, I think the one thing you can be sure of every year is that you're going to get plenty of players wrong. So, Jared, the purpose of this week's show is, is not merely to recount the wrong calls from 2020, but really to see what lessons we can pull from it, what we might glean from that, and improve our drafting in 2021 and beyond. Always trying to get better. I think, you know, figuring out what you got wrong and why is a big part of that. And having, you know, guys like JJ on who are you know, some of the best in the business, I think is always helpful as well. So JJ, you actually addressed this subject on your own podcast back on January 18th and started with the two wideouts that we're going to be focusing on today. So folks, if you haven't already heard that show, go check it out now. We're going to talk about Stefan Diggs first, a guy who's going to come up on multiple shows for us this week. And really one of the biggest stories of the fantasy football season this year JJ, tell me about how Diggs went wrong for you. Yeah, so, you know, there's there's a couple layers to it. You know, if you looked at what Diggs did uh, in 2019, uh, he had a, a yards per target rate that was north of 12, which really hadn't been hit over the last decade outside of uh, A.J. Brown. So that was going to regress in some way. And then, as we know, he's been playing in these run-heavy teams in Minnesota. And realistically, I think that, you know, what we've seen from Stefan Diggs before this season was that he was a much better real player than the way the fantasy football market sort of viewed him. He really was not this like, you know, locked in every single season wide receiver one that some have sold him as, you know, throughout his his time in the NFL. Um, so there was a little bit of you know, the market just kind of overrating Diggs naturally, especially in the dynasty format overall. But then on top of that, the second layer to this was that Buffalo, you know, under Josh or with Josh Allen, they'd been a, a pretty run heavy team over the first two years of his career. They were 31st in neutral strip ratio a couple of years ago. They were 20th last year or two years ago, I guess, if, if, if we consider the 2020 season as last year. Um, so obviously, you know, you get a run heavy team, you get Stefan Diggs coming in 
to a situation where, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a huge believer that good players generally see high target shares. And I think Stefan Diggs, we'd all agree, Stefan Diggs is a great player. So, you know, I wasn't necessarily projecting Stefan Diggs to see like a sub 24% target share or anything like that. But when you're projecting and you're looking at it, you could see a scenario where he barely got over, you know, maybe 110 targets or something like that. So it was harder to see where that ceiling was coming from. So, you know, I did some work too, looking at how wide receivers in these run heavy teams have produced historically. Since 2011, 17% of teams have had 500 or fewer pass attempts and only 4.4% of wide receiver one seasons have come from those teams. And then 30% of teams had 525 or fewer pass attempts and only 11.5% of the wide receiver ones have come from those teams. So situationally, Stefan Diggs' situation did not project to be very strong. And then on top of that, like I said, he had that regression coming in the yards per target department. So all of that combined was one of the main reasons I wasn't on him very heavily this year. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Diggs was my biggest miss of the year. I mean, not only was I not taking him in ADP, I think me and Matt came on our podcast multiple times and said he was overvalued mm. at ADP. Like, I, I you know, I, I think we had him ranked in the 30s, which, you know, seems ridiculous now. The three things were, one, wide receiver changing teams. I looked yeah. into that last offseason, and most of the quality wide receivers that have changed teams over the past 10 years, their production has decreased with their new team. So that was a mark against Diggs. I thought he was going from one run-heavy offense to another run-heavy offense. That was way off. And I thought he was going to experience a significant quarterback downgrade going from Kirk Cousins to Josh Allen. I mean, I think that was a major miss too, just the massive leap that Josh Allen took in, in his third season. So all those things kind of combined to you know make it a, a huge miss for me. Yeah, so I mean, Diggs was, was obviously a kick-yourself player for anybody who wasn't targeting him at draft time. The thing that makes me not as bothered as I might otherwise be about a miss like this is I don't think this ultimate ceiling was foreseeable. I mean, JJ, you've already hit on the reasons here. I mean, for him, it was really a confluence of the Bills throwing a lot more than we've seen them do. Diggs absorbing a dominant share. I mean, like you said, you weren't projecting him for under 24%, but I don't think anybody was projecting him for 28%. Right. Uh, maybe we should have considered that more of a possibility after they traded a first round pick for him. But, you know, it's still betting on something that, we don't have any precedent for, especially a guy going to a new team. And John Brown was coming off a pretty good season in 2019. And then the final piece was Josh Allen improving a ton as a passer over his previous two years. So, I mean, if you thought even all three of those things had a shot at happening, then you certainly should have bought Stefan Diggs at his price. The thing that bothers me, I think, about not being in really at all on Stefan Diggs, it's more of like a player exposure thing. I mean, now I think most of us are, are in the space where we're drafting higher volume than we used to in fantasy. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm taking a stand, planting a flag on a player, I still probably wouldn't plant my flag on a player heading into the season in the kind of situation that Diggs was in for 2020. But I, I'm going to try to look a little bit more at the what ifs and say, well, if all I have to do is pay a fifth round price for this guy, then some of these drafts, I'm going to go ahead and look away from Tyler Lockett in that range and take some Stefan Diggs shares instead. Yeah, that, the, the one thing that with Diggs that I, I did beat myself up uh, over a little bit is the fact that I was really in on DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett this year. And a lot of that logic was, well, what if Russ does cook? What if they do throw the ball at a much higher rate than they had historically? And that was sort of baked into their ADP. Whereas you can make that exact same argument to a degree with Stefan Diggs, where, you know, he's going around later or, you know, in that range at least. And you could say, well, what if you know, Buffalo is a little bit more run or pass heavy than they have been in the past. And then all of a sudden, if Diggs does get even that 24, 25% target share, that alone is going to elevate him and allow him 
to hit more of a ceiling. I agree. I don't think that we could have been able to like accurately project this kind of ceiling and, and exactly what he did, because like you said, a lot of things really had to, to, to meet in the middle and say, you know, he's going to get this 29% target share. They're also going to be pass heavy. Oh, and by the way, Josh Allen's going to arguably see the biggest leap that we've ever seen a quarterback make in NFL history. So, you know, those are the kinds of things where I'm like, okay, I'm all right that I, I missed out on digs a little bit there, but I do think the logic and in, in how I, what I use for a, a Metcalf or a Tyler Lockett could have been applied to a guy like Stefan Diggs. They should have been on him at least a little bit more than I was. Yeah, that's a that's a great comparison I hadn't thought of. Um, you know, the difference for me still would have been that I didn't expect Josh Allen to be <laughs> more efficient than Russell Wilson this past season. One final point on Diggs, I think I might have underrated is the fact that the Bills gave up a first round pick for him. You don't see teams trade first round picks for non quarterbacks like hardly ever. So you know that that should have told us that they love the guy. He was going to see a massive target share. Maybe that even should have told us that they were preparing to you know move towards at least a more pass heavy offense, even if we couldn't have, you know, predicted them to be as pass heavy as they were. I think the the whole what if thing is probably the most difficult thing for me because you spend all off season, you know, working the numbers, however you do and, and picking up all the news and putting everything together to make your projections. And then you come on podcasts and you tell people why your projections are right and why a certain guy's ADP is wrong. You just get set in that spot. And I think it's important to, if we know that we're going to get things wrong, then we got to look at some of these guys and say, well, what if this happens for this guy? And if I only have to buy him at this price, even if I don't think he belongs there, could he belong there? Yeah. So maybe I should get some. So next up here is Keenan Allen. And honestly, this is one that started making me feel uneasy back at draft time, like watching Keenan Allen go in pretty much the same range as Stefan Diggs and ADP and thinking, I don't know, are we all collectively underrating him? I can't really say why he would be underrated here because it seems appropriate but it just made me feel a little uneasy at that point where where were you on Keenan Allen for 2020 yeah so I definitely was was lower uh than the consensus on him he's he was one of those players though where like if I looked at my rankings versus where he was going it really wasn't dramatically far off I think that you can make the argument for Stefan Diggs too it's just that there were other guys in that area that I tended to, to just gravitate towards more. But, you know, with, with Allen, you know, I was just worried about sort of the obvious, you know, Philip Rivers, he had played his entire career with him. I do think Allen, again, is an elite, very, very good wide receiver. So he's going to demand and command some sort of target share. But even still, he had three straight seasons of a 26% plus target share, which is not easy to do. I mean, over the over that time frame, he owned 12.5% of, of all 25 or 26% plus percent target shares. I'm saying percent a lot there because it's very hard to say. Basically, he was getting a lot of volume in that offense with Phillip Rivers. And so, you know, the thought was entering the season, what's this going to look like without Phillip Rivers there? You know, you have Tyrod Taylor who didn't necessarily mesh with what Keenan Allen had had done well and, and with those lower A dot routes and being able to be more of that possession guy. When you look at Rivers versus Tyrod and the type of quarterback they are, very, very different. And that that at least was some sort of red flag. Um, and then obviously, you know, we didn't know, I had no real take about Justin Herbert. I mean, I, I didn't think that he was necessarily bad, but I, I just generally, you know, quarterback evaluation, I've tried to have a very open mind about the the variance of, of what a quarterback will do, not only in his rookie season, but across his career. And so with Justin Herbert, you know, I wasn't necessarily, you know, saying that he was going to be horrible or he was going to be really good, but he hit, I mean, he hit on an insane level. Right. And so I think I'm more okay with the miss on Keenan Allen than I was on Stefan Diggs, just because I think a lot of things, especially at the quarterback position hit in Allen's favor for him to have the season that he had, not only that, but 
you know, with Diggs, he just had Diggs just had a way, way better season than Keenan Allen did, just just generally speaking. So it's easier to, to miss on Allen than miss on Diggs. But I think the quarterback position really comes down to that for Allen and why he was able to, to continue to elevate his play and, and play so well. I mean, I think the Keenan Allen and Stefan Diggs situations are pretty similar. Like they're guys we knew are, are big time talents. We had questions about their offenses in general and their quarterback play. And in both instances, you know, the offenses were better than we expected. The quarterbacks, I think, were much better than we expected. So I, I guess maybe the lesson here is, you know, and it's been said before, is just bet on talent, yeah. uh, maybe especially a wide receiver, because you know, I think we know that targets are earned by talented guys. So, you know, regardless of supporting cast and situation, these guys are going to get their volume and, you know, volume matters more than anything else in fantasy football. I think a couple other things at play here was the beard, because usually guys with beards like that are either guards or Eric Weddle. But also... I look back at my projection for, for Keenan Allen, and really I think where what was most wrong about it was the Chargers running a lot more offensive plays than I would have guessed. And obviously we know that that's volatile. That's going to be all over the place. But they ran 130 more plays than in 2019, 182 more than in 2018. So I had him for about the share that he got, but I had him for way fewer targets than he actually got. Other numbers were pretty much in line. So, you know, that's one of those things that, that's tough to project. It's, again, the what if, but – as you brought up, JJ, the guys around him in the draft, DK Metcalf, Adam Thielen, Tyler Lockett, Terry McLaurin. So there was plenty of other value. And I think I wasn't necessarily buying Keenan Allen there. But as you kind of alluded to, it's not a big regret for me because these other guys also gave us production when they were on the field. Tyler Boyd was behind him. A couple rounds later was Jarvis Landry, who was kind of a similar profile heading into the season as Keenan Allen. So, you know, it's kind of tough to kick yourself too much on Keenan Allen when there are similar values around the board. And really, I thought I felt like last year in that range from like round four through round eight or nine, you could find value wide receivers at any point. So it was it made it even tougher to say Keenan Allen's a value because, you know, there are all these steps that you could take from there. For sure. Well, finally, we have Mr. Late Round QB on the show today. So I think we'd be remiss if we let you go without talking about the current QB landscape. I heard you, JJ, on the couch with Sigmund Bloom last summer talking about how we're all kind of collectively, basically appropriately valuing QBs and fantasy drafts at this point. I know you addressed it on your own podcast as well. So where do you sit on that after watching the 2020 season play out? You know, entering last season, what probably one of my better takes, honestly, was the fact that like I was gobbling up Josh Allen and I was gobbling up sort of that the guys at the end of that uh, second tier, if you want to put a Mahomes and Lamar in their own tier, because of where ADP was shaping up. When I first wrote the late round quarterback ebook back in 2012, the 12th quarterback was being drafted in round eight. And, and so that was considered late at the time. So if it was considered late at the time, then, you know, getting the QB six in round eight should be fine from an opportunity cost standpoint. And it is fine. So, you know, I've done lots and studies of where opportunity cost really becomes uh, really, really shrinks and, and where it becomes okay to take that, you know, uh, single player position, like at quarterback tight ends, a little bit different, but let's just focus on quarterback, you know, in the, the late third, early fourth. And I give that a little bit of a buffer. And I say more mid fourth is when, the opportunity cost seems to be okay from just uh, being able to hit on a league winner standpoint. And so that's where it does make more sense to attack and get a quarterback if you really want to get an early round quarterback. Now, the problem that you run into is that if you're the first person in your draft to take a quarterback, you run the risk of really devaluing that position if everyone else waits. Uh, but what we saw in 2020, entering 2020, is that the market was very clearly efficient. And it was efficient, arguably, for the first time since I've been doing this, really, uh, you know, in analyzing fantasy football, because 
what we've seen is that people didn't really put a premium on the rushing component at the quarterback position. So we were able to get guys like, you know, Cam Newton late whenever he had his MVP season or Lamar Jackson. And then obviously there were going to be some random spikes by guys who had like crazy outlier touchdown rate seasons like we saw from Matt Ryan during his great season. Uh, what we saw from Aaron Rodgers this past year, you know, he's Aaron Rodgers, like the perfect guy that the people should be fading the next season. But the difference is that next season, we're going to have, again, a group of players who we know are going to give us a more sustainable floor than what we've seen in the past at the positions. So you're going to have the you know, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, these guys who, and Dak Prescott, these guys who can give you some sort of floor with their legs. Uh, and then obviously they're now matching the ceiling, a passing ceiling of these other guys, which means they're just becoming fantasy unicorns and they really are separating themselves from the rest of the position. So the way that I sort of frame this all the time, I know that I'm sort of rambling right now. I just earlier in the off season, like earlier in January, I basically spent three days just like staring at this stuff and trying to formulate like a coherent argument about it. But the way that I, I think that's easiest to sort of comprehend this is that back in like 2015, 2014, if you were to look at uh, ADP at the quarterback position and top 12 quarterbacks versus their postseason result, there was zero correlation between where you drafted those quarterbacks and how well they performed in terms of total points. But now we're seeing that that correlation is going to become stronger. So if there is some sort of predictability aspect to this, that does bring some value. And as a result, you should be drafting quarterbacks a little bit earlier, or you should feel more comfortable doing that than you have in the past. And in the end, the late round quarterback strategy has never been about a game of chicken. It's always been about a game of value. It's always just been about the fact that you can always get these usable quarterbacks late. And as that changes, then you have to change. You have to, you have to switch your, your uh, strategy up a little bit and, and change your approach. And it's not until we see, you know, the, a, a new, you know, this new class coming in, we're going to have a couple hits probably where they're going to be able to be mobile and have great arms as well. And until we see basically 12 of those guys across the league where every single player, every single manager in your league can have one of those players who are these dual threat passers until we see that, then there's going to be a premium put and there should be on these quarterbacks who can do both things. We're close to having 12 of those guys. Honestly. We are. We're very I, close. I, yeah, I, so I, I looked into some numbers this morning. Um, this past season, there were nine quarterbacks who averaged 25 plus fantasy points per game that the corresponding number of the previous four seasons, three, four, two, and three. So you had almost three times as many quarterbacks scoring 25 plus points last season we didn't really see an increase in total number of quarterbacks scoring 20 plus points. That was 18 last season for 17, 21, 13, and 18 the previous four seasons. So we're, we're seeing a bigger gap between, you know, those top end guys and sort of the streaming level guys. And the thing about the nine quarterbacks that top 25 plus last year, only Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are over 27 years old. Mm -hmm. So most of these guys are, you know, in their prime or haven't even hit their prime yet. Then as you alluded to JJ, you throw in, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, these guys who, you know, could join that group in the next couple of years. You know, again, we, we could have, you know, 12 quarterbacks who we can project for, you know, somewhere around 25 plus points per game. And then when that happens, you can get back to waiting and just, you know, grab the 12th of those guys. So this year, I mean, obviously drafting is just barely started. It's mostly FFPC at this point for best balls, but I wonder if we're seeing quarterbacks climb up the board again, according to fantasy Mojo's ADP from those FFPC best ball drafts so far, we got six QBs going in the first five rounds now, nine inside the first six rounds. So JJ, I wonder if it might be climbing back toward where, I don't know, you should wait a little bit, or if you just think that that's kind of still appropriate for what we're looking at right now. 
Yeah. So in the end, I mean, where you draft your quarterback should be market dependent, right? It has to be market dependent. And so, you know, if you look at the quarterbacks entering next year, I think that you're going to feel very, very comfortable, you know, with, with, from a ceiling perspective with about nine guys. So it makes sense that those are the nine that are being drafted, you know, in the first six rounds or so. Like I said, the opportunity cost, once you get past, you know, the third round of drafts, it's really not nearly as significant as people probably think. You know, I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves about hitting on their fourth and their fifth round picks, but you know, the difference between a fifth round pick and a seventh or an eighth round pick is not all that significant when looking at it, at it from an expected value standpoint. So I get it. You know, I, I think that it, it does make sense. Now, will I be someone who's drafting, you know, one of the first or second or third or fourth quarterbacks? It's unlikely. And will I still be drafting quarterbacks very, very late? You know, if Joe Burrow is able to come back and be healthy enough week one, or, you know, you're going to be able to get a guy like Ryan Tannehill late still. So like those kinds of quarterbacks, they're still going to be available late. I'm still likely going to you know, do that in some drafts. But I think that this season and, and like, you know, like we just talked about, there's going to be more guys that are stepping in to be part of this pool of dual threat passers that have that 25 plus point per game ceiling. So this might only happen this year, right? Like we might only have this 2021 season where it makes sense to maybe go a little bit earlier at the quarterback position. But I do think that it does make some sense to do that this year. Yeah, it also might be a year to if the rest of your league is going to push it up and everybody make sure that they have one by the end of round five or middle of round six, then sit back a little bit and grab a right. couple of them uh, right after that and kind of get back to what we've been going with here. Exactly. Do you think, by the way, Ryan Tannehill, you brought up, you think he checks uh, fantasy ADPs in the morning just to get himself going, fire himself <laughs> up for workouts? Because that guy is perennially underrated at this point. I say perennially, it's been a year and a half for Tennessee, but the fantasy players don't want to put him up around the top 12 yet. Well, the, the, the crazy thing was, you know, looking at ADP last year, this is what really made me realize Ryan Tannehill is like the main reason I realized that the market was so efficient because I mean, you guys have been playing for so long too, but if you looked at ADP historically, it was always, how did this guy finish? Okay. We're going to draft him high because he finished high the previous season. Ryan Tannehill, the QB two, whenever he came back or whenever he got the starting job two years ago, but yet he was still being drafted as like the QB 17, QB 18 last year. That's when the light bulb really went off for me. And I was like, wow, people are understanding this position a little bit more than they had before. But even Ryan Tannehill brings that, that rushing element to his game. And he had, you know, a nice spike season rushing touchdown wise. So, you know, he's one of those guys still that still has that dual threat ability that I think that you'll be able to get late. Mm-hmm. Hey, we've all gotten too good at this fantasy thing. There's no Apparently, yeah. Left. Yeah, we're oh, just so good. One more point. Just if you're drafting now, I do think these top-end quarterbacks make more sense in early draft because there's so much uncertainty around the league. Like a fifth-round pick right now, I think, is a lot riskier than your average fifth-round pick in August. So, you know, someone like, I don't know, say Kyler Murray is a lot safer relative to others right now than, you know, I think he will be in August. That is a good point. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Stay tuned this week as five more high-profile guests join us to make sense of what we got wrong in 2020. If you're not already following JJ Zacharyson on Twitter and checking out his podcast, you're probably not paying enough attention. He is, of course, at Late Round QB on Twitter, the Late Round Podcast, wherever you do your listening. JJ, thanks very much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. You can, of course, find us on Twitter. We are at Draft Sharks. Jared is at Smola DS. I am at Shauf DS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola, JJ Zacharyson, and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shauf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.